the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. It does not matter as much where you've come from as much as where you're going. And he was going with God, and he was going to be God's man for this hour. And you and I can have a new heritage and a new identity in Christ, and we can be new creatures in Him. Don't rest on your pedigree if it was good, and don't let it define you if it was bad. Because we can be called to do new and wonderful things for God in a new identity with who He is. And that's Jephthah's story here. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Judges. There are many benefits to coming from a great family, and it can be really tough growing up in a not-so-great family. However, Pastor Gary reminds us today that none of that really matters when God wants to use you for His glory. We learn from the life of Jephthah that your past can't hold you back from the new work God wants to do in your life. Relying on a good pedigree won't do much to put you in better favor with God either. So don't stress too much over where you come from or what you've done. You can have a new identity in Christ. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary for part one of today's message titled, Words Matter. Let's take our Bibles and go to Judges chapter 10. If you're joining us for the first time, here's a quick review to bring us up to pace. We've been looking at lessons from the judges. The book is so named after 12 individuals. There were considered six minor judges and six major judges. And so far we've studied Othniel, Ehud, Shamgar was a minor judge, and Deborah. And then we looked at the life of Gideon kind of in two parts. The first part of his life was exemplary. The last part of his life, not so much. And we talked about that last week. Well, Gideon dies, and then God raises up two additional judges. They are considered minor judges. We have Tola and Jair. Tola, in Hebrew, translates red worm. Just kind of get an idea what he looked like when he was born. (laughs) And Jair, his name means God enlightens. They led Israel for 23 years and 22 years, respectfully. And yet, they are still considered minor judges. However, you get to judge number eight, Jephthah, he's considered a major judge, and he only led Israel for six years. So, kind of interesting that his tenure was a lot less than the previous two, although the previous two are considered minor judges. Jephthah's name in Hebrew is pronounced Yiftah. Yiftah translates Yahweh or God will 
set free. God will set free. And Jephthah is going to be the topic of today's study because he takes up a lot of chapter 10, all of chapter 11, and most of chapter 12. So we're going to look here starting at chapter 10 and verse 6. And I'm going to read down through the first third of chapter 11 as well. So we'll start here in chapter 10 at verse 6. And it says this, Again the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They served the Baals and the Ashtoreths and the gods of Aram, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the Ammonites, and the gods of the Philistines. So please note, I mean, they're going all out in idolatry. They're worshiping the foreign gods of the people around them. It says, And because the Israelites forsook the Lord and no longer served him, he, that is the Lord, became angry with them. He sold them into the hands of the Philistines and the Ammonites, who that year shattered and crushed them. For 18 years they oppressed all the Israelites on the east side of the Jordan in Gilead, the land of the Amorites. I'm at verse 9. The Ammonites also crossed the Jordan to fight against Judah, Benjamin, and the house of Ephraim. And Israel was in great distress. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord, We have sinned against you, forsaking our God and serving the Baals. The Lord replied, When the Egyptians, the Amorites, the Ammonites, the Philistines, the Sidonians, the Amalekites, and the Maonites oppressed you, and you cried to me for help, did I not save you from their hands? But you have forsaken me and served other gods, so I will no longer save you. Go and cry out to the gods you have chosen. Let them save you when you are in trouble. But the Israelites said to the Lord, We have sinned. Do with us whatever you think best, but please rescue us now. And then they got rid of the foreign gods among them and served the Lord. Note this. And he could bear Israel's misery no longer. Now, that's an important statement because here again is this cycle of sin that we see here throughout the book of Judges where the Israelites are serving the Lord and then they give in to idolatry because of the influence of the pagan people around them. And then they are oppressed by the people around them. So they cry out to God and he raises up a judge to deliver them. And then they serve the Lord again. And we just read that here in this section. Here's that cycle again. Gideon has died and Tola and Jair have died. And so now they're in this same cycle of sin again here. But what I love about the, you know, how we would assess the whole problem here is the heart of God towards them nonetheless. Because the end of verse 16 I just read there, it says, And he could bear Israel's misery no longer. And if you have a King James Bible, it says this, The Lord's soul was grieved for the misery of Israel. And I love that part because despite the fact that the Israelites were miserable because they had brought the misery upon themselves, God's heart was still compassionate towards them. And there will be times that you and I will bring misery upon ourselves, and yet God is still compassionate towards us. And he's going to deliver them here again. We'll keep reading verse 17. It says, And when the Ammonites were called to arms and camped in Gilead, the Israelites assembled and camped at Mizpah. The leaders of the people of Gilead said to each other, Whoever will launch the attack against the Ammonites will be the head of all those living in Gilead. Keep reading chapter 11. Jephthah, the Gileadite, was a mighty warrior. His father was Gilead. His mother was a prostitute. Gilead's wife also bore him sons. And when they were grown up, they drove Jephthah away. You're not going to get any inheritance in our family, they said, because you are the son of another woman. So Jephthah fled from his brothers and settled in the land of Tob. It's actually a V in Hebrew, Tov. It translates in Hebrew, good. He's living in the good land, if you will. 
where a group of adventurers gathered around him and followed him. Sometime later, when the Ammonites made war on Israel, the elders of Gilead went to get Jephthah from the land of Tob. Come, they said, be our commander so we can fight the Ammonites. Jephthah said to them, didn't you hate me and drive me from my father's house? Why do you come to me now when you're in trouble? The elders of Gilead said to him, nevertheless, we are turning to you now. Come with us to fight the Ammonites and you will be our head over all who live in Gilead. Jephthah answered, Suppose you take me back to fight the Ammonites, and the Lord gives them to me. Will I really be your head? The elders of Gilead replied, The Lord is our witness. We will certainly do as you say. So Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head and commander over them, and he repeated all his words before the Lord in Mizpah. Now, for anybody who knows the story of Jephthah at all, you know that he's somewhat of a mysterious and rather complex individual. And if you're not familiar with his story, that'll become more apparent to you as we make our way through the story here this morning. This much we do know about him. The Bible says that he is a Gileadite. It said he is from Gilead. And in fact, it tells us, we just read it, that his father's name was Gilead. Now, he's not a Gileadite because his father was named Gilead. He's a Gileadite because of the land in which he lived, which was also called Gilead. It was a mountainous region on the eastern side of the Jordan River. So this story takes place in what is today modern Jordan, the country of modern Jordan. And there he is, the Bible says, a Gileadite. It tells us that his father had an encounter with a prostitute and that Jephthah was the product of that encounter. Jephthah's mother was a prostitute. His father was Gilead. And his dad took Jephthah into his home to raise him as one of his own. The problem is, the Bible tells us that when Gilead's other sons grew up, they banished Jephthah. They wanted nothing to do with their half-brother. They saw him as somewhat of a, if you will, in a derogatory sense, a half-breed. They saw him as, you're an illegitimate son. You know, you're not our mother's son. You know, you're the son of this prostitute. And so verse 2 tells us that they drove him away, and they said to him, you're not going to get any inheritance in our family because you are the son of another woman, which really adds to the remarkable nature of this story because I don't know what kind of an image you have in your mind of the kind of people God uses, but it probably doesn't include illegitimate children of prostitutes who are banished from their home and from their land. That's the kind of guy that Jephthah is. That's the kind of guy that God uses. This illegitimate son of a prostitute rejected by his family, pushed out of the home, banished out of his land, living somewhere else entirely, which is a good story for all of us. Because, look, you will make multitudes of decisions in the course of a lifetime, but there is one choice that you and I don't have, and that is the family into which we are born. You didn't have that choice. You have a mom and a dad, you have a family tree, you have a lineage from which you've come, and you had zero choice about that. You were just born into that family. And for many of us, that's a good thing, and that's a wonderful thing, and we're thankful for that heritage that we've received. But for others of you, not such a good upbringing, not such a good family life. And the who, what, and when, and where of your family has troubled you since you were born. And things that have happened to you, and injustices that were done to you, and all these things as a result of the family that you grew up in, sometimes is troubling to you. The good news is here, listen, if God can take an illegitimate son of a prostitute rejected by his family, please know it does not matter as much where you've come from as much as where you're going. And he was going with God, and he was going to be God's man for this hour. 
And you and I can have a new heritage and a new identity in Christ, and we can be new creatures in him. Don't rest on your pedigree if it was good, and don't let it define you if it was bad. Because we can be called to do new and wonderful things for God in a new identity with who he is. And that's Jephthah's story here. He uses this very unsuspecting individual, the illegitimate son of a prostitute, rejected by his family, banished from his homeland to be the next judge of Israel. Now, his brothers, again, initially, they grew up, they want nothing to do with him. And so they push him out of the house, they drive him out, until, until now they're oppressed by the Ammonites. Now they have this foreign nation breathing down their necks, and the brothers look around and they're like, who's going to be the warrior for us and lead the army of Israel? We can't find anybody. Hey, that dude that we drove out, Jephthah, he's kind of a mighty guy. We ought to go find him because maybe he can be the warrior that we need. So they go track him down. And they go to Jephthah and they say, hey, bro, listen, you know what happened way back when? Let's just let bygones be bygones. We need you now. And Jephthah basically says, oh, really? Oh, how fine is this? You guys drive me out. You reject me. You don't like me. You hate me. And now you need me. Oh, isn't this wonderful? And notice, if you will, that you can tell these are guys. You can tell they're men, all right? Because in this conversation, in this exchange, where these brothers are like, hey, we need you now. And Jephthah's like, hey, great. You know, you hated me, but now you need me. The brothers, when they respond, ladies, what words are missing? What words, ladies? I'm sorry. You can tell these are guys in this story here, right? They don't even say, I'm sorry. They say, well, nevertheless, come on. It's such a guy thing, all right? We're just like, we're over it already. Let's get over this. Why do we need to say we're sorry? You don't even know what the words mean. Anyway, they're just like, okay, come on. Well, that was yesterday. Come on and be our leader. And Jephthah does something that probably a lot of us would not. You know, a lot of us would be like, what a fine thing. You know, you don't like me. Now you like me. Now you didn't like me. Now you like me, you know, and now you need me to be your little war hero to rescue you from the Ammonites. Well, I'm not going, sucker. You know, I mean, that's the kind of thing. Most of us would be probably like that. Not Jephthah. He goes. He goes here. And one of the first things that he does, it tells us here further in the text is, for you note takers, he engages in some diplomacy with the Ammonites. I mean, diplomacy is a good thing. You don't want to start, you know, shooting guns right off the bat. You need to try to be a little diplomatic. And so, Judges chapter 11 here, verse 12. It says, Then Jephthah sent messengers to the Ammonite king with the question, What do you have against us that you have attacked our country? The king of the Ammonites answered, Jephthah's messengers, When Israel came out of Egypt, they took away my land from the Arnon to the Jabbok all the way to the Jordan. Now give it back peaceably. So there's this little exchange. Jephthah sends messengers, ask the king of Ammon, why are you trying to attack us? You know, what's going on? We don't understand this. And he fires back a message through the messengers. And he says, listen, you guys, you took my land. I want it back. Give it back peaceably. Now, I'm going to summarize the following verses because Jephthah basically sends the messengers back. And he says, what are you talking about? This land was never yours. And he recounts a little of his own Hebrew history. He says, look, this is what happened. The Israelites came up out of slavery from Egypt on the way to the promised land. And on the way, we wanted to go through the region of Moab and Edom. And we asked the king of Moab and the king of Edom, can we pass peacefully through your land? They said no. So we had to skirt around their countries. And on our way to the promised land, we were attacked by the Amorites. The Amorites, not the Ammonites. 
and the Amorites attacked us. We fought back. We defeated them. We took their land. What you're wanting is not your land. It was the land of the Amorites. You've never owned this land. Plus, we've been living here now for the last 300 years, he tells them in the story. We've been here 300 years. You've never complained until now. But besides, the land was never yours to begin with. And then he says this. Jephthah adds this in verse 27. He says, I have not wronged you, but you are doing me wrong by waging war against me. Let the Lord, the judge, decide the dispute this day between the Israelites and the Ammonites. Verse 28, the king of Ammon, however, paid no attention to the message Jephthah sent him. He pays no attention, so guess what now there's going to be? There's going to be war. Attempts at diplomacy have failed, so now there's going to be war. And verse 29 is the verse that equips Jephthah. It's kind of his coronation here by the Lord. Verse 29 says... Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. He crossed Gilead and Manasseh passed through Mizpah of Gilead, and from there he advanced against the Ammonites. So he's on the march, and he's on the march now filled with the Spirit of God. God has visited him in a very personal and powerful way. Jephthah has received the Spirit of God, and now he's equipped to do the work of God. So therefore, he doesn't need to make a deal with God. But that's about to happen next. He's going to make a deal with God that he doesn't need to make. He's been given the spirit of God. You're ready to go. You're equipped. You're the mighty warrior. You're the man for the hour here. But nevertheless, he thinks, Jephthah does, that in order to have success against the Ammonites, that he has to make some kind of this vow with God to secure the victory. It wasn't necessary. In fact, what he's about to do, the words that he's about to utter, are the reason that in Jewish literature... And according to ancient rabbinical writings, that Japheth is counted among one of the least worthy judges of Israel, and he's labeled by the ancient rabbis as foolish and ignorant. Foolish and ignorant. And this deal that he is about to make with God will be what he is remembered for the most. More than his victory over the Ammonites, which is going to happen, and more than overcoming this terrible childhood, Jephthah will be remembered most for this terrible vow that he makes with God. Now, some of you are like, well, the suspension is killing me. What is the vow? All right, so look at verse 30. Here's the vow, verse 30. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. If you give the Ammonites into my hands, whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me when I return in triumph from the Ammonites will be the Lord's and I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. That's what he says there. Now, let me show you how the story plays out. Verse 32. Then Jephthah went over to fight the Ammonites, and the Lord gave them into his hands. He devastated 20 towns from Aror to the vicinity of Minith, as far as abel Karamim. Thus Israel subdued Ammon. When Jephthah returned to his home in Mizpah, who should come out to meet him but his daughter, dancing to the sound of tambourines? She was an only child. Except for her, he had neither son nor daughter. When he saw her, he tore his clothes and cried, Oh, my daughter, you have made me miserable and wretched because I have made a vow to the Lord that I cannot break. My father, she replied, you have given your word to the Lord. Do to me just as you promised, now that the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the Ammonites. But grant me this one request, she said. 
Give me two months to roam the hills and weep with my friends because I will never marry. You may go, he said. And he let her go for two months. She and the girls went into the hills and wept because she would never marry. After the two months, she returned to her father and he did to her as he had vowed. And she was a virgin. From this comes the Israelite custom that each year the young women of Israel go out for four days to commemorate the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite. All right, your attention here. This is what I mean by he's quite a complex guy. I mean, on the one hand, he's a mighty warrior who is filled with the Spirit of God. And on the other hand, he makes this rash vow, a vow to sacrifice whatever first comes out of the door of his house, happens to be his daughter, and he makes good on his word. That's what the text tells us. Now, notice again the words of his vow, because this is going to be important to the rest of our study. Verse 30 and 31 And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord, If you give the Ammonites into my hands, whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me when I return in triumph from the Ammonites will be the Lord's, and I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. Now, this raises a few questions, okay? Here's the first question I have for Japheth. What or who were you thinking would be the first thing to come out of the door of your house? You know? Were you thinking about the neighbor you didn't like? Who were you thinking here? Your lawyer, maybe? Your mother-in-law? I don't know. Who were you thinking would be the first one to come out of the door of your house? Because listen, unless sheep and cattle are living in your home, the likelihood that a legitimate sacrifice is going to come crawling out the front door of your house is practically nil. The chances that something on two legs opening the door versus something with four legs it's probably going to be something with two legs. And in fact, it is. It's his daughter. She comes out here with tambourine. She's dancing because dad is home. What is he thinking? The fact is, we don't know what he's thinking. The truth is, when any of us say something impulsively, we aren't thinking. And that's probably the case here. Now, some say, and I'm going to give you both sides of the argument on this story, some say that he actually had in mind an animal sacrifice. He wasn't thinking at all about a person he was thinking of an animal sacrifice because, and those who say that point to the fact, that when he mentions whatever comes out of the front door of my house, I will sacrifice it. It in the Hebrew is in the Hebrew masculine. And that would be consistent with Leviticus 1.3, which talks about a burnt offering is to be a male from either the flocks or the herd. And that Jephthah was probably thinking a male animal and that's the sacrifice, Leviticus 1.3, and that's what I'm looking to see come towards me. Now, again, they will also say, and this is true, that the door of my house can be a broader term that means basically the entrance to my home. So it could have been like, you know, as he approaches the perimeter of his property, you know, that he's coming into the entrance of his home, and so there he sees an animal. So it could be that he's actually thinking about a male animal sacrifice that he's going to offer as a burnt offering to the Lord. That's possible. The second question on the heels of that is, did he actually sacrifice, did he kill his daughter as a burnt offering to the Lord? And I will tell you that scholars are equally divided on this. There are many who say, yes, he did, and there are many on the argument who say, no, he didn't. And I'll tell you first, those who say, no, he didn't, will hinge the interpretation on one word in this vow, and it is the word and in verse 31. Because those who believe that, in fact, no, he didn't end up sacrificing her, what he ended up doing was dedicating her to the Lord as a living sacrifice, 
will point to the word and, and they will say, and there's some truth to this, that that word and in the Hebrew can sometimes be translated or. And when you change that one word, it completely changes the meaning of the verse. So let me read verse 31 again using the word or. Whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me when I return in triumph from the Ammonites will be the Lord's or I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. Throughout the book of Judges, God was with the nation of Israel. When they were following him, God's blessing flowed and filled their land. When they turned away from him, he didn't abandon them, but instead brought forth judges to help them see the error of their ways and how life with him was so much better. This cycle of living that the Israelites fell into is what we've been studying with Pastor Gary Hamrick, and we're so glad you joined us again today. Here at Cornerstone Connection, we love being able to share God's Word with you and learning with you what God has to teach us. If you'd like to hear more from the book of Judges or the number of other Bible books Pastor Gary has taught through, you'll find them at cornerstoneconnection.cc. We also have companion resources that offer an even deeper look into these studies, which you can use to enhance your own time with God in His Word. Cornerstone Connection comes to you as a ministry of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia, and we'd love to meet you in person. Come see us Sundays at 8.30, 10, or 11.45 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. for our time of worship and Bible study. Find out more at cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have time for today, but join us again for another step into the lives of the Israelites right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.